live. Welcome, everybody. It's two Wednesday. Oh my, I don't even know what day it is. What the hell is today? Tuesday. Tuesday, 12 o'clock p.m. Central. I don't know who I am anymore. Welcome in. Make sure you can see me. Make sure you can hear me. Very special guest today, y'all. Corey Steuben from Monroe Live, president of, of Monroe & Associates. Uh, I've spoken to him in person and uh, also online, and it's just uh, he's a great person to follow in the automotive space. If you're somebody who's really interested in Tesla, what's going on, and in, in, uh, especially from an engineering perspective, uh, Monroe does an incredible job of really keeping track of the latest innovations in the in the auto segment if you know this if you know them and you follow tesla you obviously know corey but if you're new to the space i couldn't recommend corey and the monroe team as well we'll have links for that in the description as well so corey thank you so much for joining me today man excited to talk to you yeah thanks for having me i'm really excited to be here absolutely so we'll get right into it the the one the one thing i want to uh, highlight is that you just ran a half marathon recently <laughs> oh yeah not on tesla topic but we got to hit this real quick let's yeah. give a shout out to Corey, man because it's like i think a lot of us have noticed your your progress uh, on camera uh you know you're obviously just somebody that that's that's looking real fit and great so i just want to give you a shout out man it's like it's it's obvious how much put work you're putting in and uh yeah, man. Shout out to you. Props. And look at this. Dude, yeah. 624 per mile pace. Faster than my sprint. So, Farzad, do you know the genesis of why I ran Houston is Sean Mitchell from All Things EV. Are you familiar with Sean Mitchell? I am. Denver? I am. Yeah. So about six or seven months ago, he was posting on his Instagram and his Twitter pictures of his running shoes and pictures of his jogs and out there in beautiful Colorado. And I had Eric, my Monroe Live producer, he kind of trolled him on Twitter and he said, who would win in a race, you or Corey? And Sean tweeted back, essentially, the only thing Corey would beat me in is a race to a box of donuts, something like that. <laughs> so I, I took that, you know, kind of personally because I used to run quite a bit uh, a decade ago and whatnot, but I had some problems with my back, pandemic hit, I got up to 260 pounds. So, anyways, I started training kind of in secret for three or four months, and Sean showed up and ran that race as well and that's why i went down there and nice. uh, he ran one he ran 137 i ran 124 so i ha i had a, a pretty good ribbing there we we met up a little bit and talked but anyways uh, enough about running um <laughs> get into the good stuff let's do it did you get your donuts <laughs> I, I did not get my donut but okay. uh even sandy chimed in on twitter about you know don't bet against Corey. so that's amazing yeah man no props props to you it's it's motivating to see that and uh, I hope, i'm sure it's motivating to others as well so yeah let's get let's get right into it so obviously uh, if you're following the tesla story for those of you in the comments and watching this live or on a recorded uh, session you know that tesla has dramatically lowered their prices not just in the u.s but across the globe it started started with china with the beginning of the year late last year moved into the u.s and the rest of the world and, and, and they're pretty drastic as well. I'll have producer wife uh, pull up uh, Sawyer's tweet that we've had before with all the different price drops. You can probably find that in, in, on Discord, babe. But um, your your first reaction from that, uh, you know, what are what's going through your mind when you see those price decreases? How are you thinking about this from Tesla's perspective, the legacy auto perspective? And then we can just turn to the conversation. So I'll throw it over to you and see, see what you got. Yeah. So my first thought was just the macroeconomics of it, supply and demand. So Tesla's been building up their ability to. Oh. Uh, Corey, I think we lost you, bud. I think your your mic just shot off. Yeah, I just went on mute. It said it's, it's not connected. 
Uh oh. No problem. There we go. There we go. He's back. Okay. All right. That was strange. I don't know what happened. <laughs> so to answer your question, um, I think from a macroeconomic perspective, um, supply and demand. So Tesla has been trying to keep up with the crazy demand for years, and they've increased their ability to supply with Giga Berlin, Giga China, Texas, and they've been ramping up like crazy. And to stem their that massive demand, they raise prices. So they raise prices in a way where the profitability per unit would far exceeds anything we saw from traditional OEMs expectations. So, and that was reflected in the profit margins, but Sandy and myself, our organization, we make a living off of doing cost analysis of vehicles. We have analyzed well over 150 to 200 vehicles over the past two decades, starting with internal combustion engine and transitioning into MHEVs and PHEVs um, and then EVs in the past seven to eight years. So our understanding of what it truly costs to manufacture vehicles is nearly unrivaled in the industry. We do have some competitors that do great jobs uh, when it comes to cost analysis, but I actually brought just one chunk of one of our reports in. So this is Tesla Model Y cost analysis, body and chassis. And the amount of detail that's in here is astounding. So the reason why this is important is when we first analyzed the Model 3 back in 2018, we assessed the should cost. This is what it should cost Tesla to manufacture a Model 3 back in 2018 from about thirty-three dollars to $35,000 for a long-range uh, all-wheel drive version. So um, that's a Model 3 long-range all-wheel drive. And... At first, people said we were crazy. They're like, there's no way it can be that cheap. But we're, we are costing every chip on every circuit board, every wire from every wire harness, every stamping, every piece of plastic, every piece of every seal, every piece of glass. And why that's important is when we build our costs up from the bottom, people can challenge us, but we'll just turn over our 50,000 line items of analysis. So where this is important is as Tesla improve their ability to manufacture and they started uh, replacing all those stampings with the giga castings they they came out with the 4680 battery they we saw improvements in the thermal system the costs were lowering to offset the increase in in inflation and the increase in commodity prices so we've seen the improvements in tesla from 2018 to 2022 unfortunately be eroded by the increase in costs around the world um, all, all in the meanwhile, they've been raising their prices. So we still, Sandy and I, we still assess Tesla's margins to be some of the healthiest in the industry. So when I caught wind, uh, I saw Sawyer's tweet. I immediately forwarded to Sandy. I immediately go, Sandy was interviewed at CES and he said that Tesla could drop the margins and they'd still be, they could drop their profit margin by half and they'd still be beating the, the OEMs. And uh, today, these price points are still more than healthy for this organization. And I kind of look at it as like a checkmate move. It's they with Tesla rising their prices so high, I mean, $69,000 for a Model Y performance is pretty expensive, considering if you also want 
uh, FSD beta, another 15 grand on top of that, that's pricey. Now you're in the, you know, Range Rover area for Crossed or Jaguar, or, you know, right. some more brands. And um, um, so f- from our assessment, there's still a healthy operating business, but the demand is crazy. I actually went online. I'm like, well, maybe I should order a Model Y now. So I think it's going to bring a lot of consumers back in. And one last topic before I kick it back to you is yeah. what, what is the reason Elon Musk founded Tesla? Was it for shareholder profits or was it to advance the world for this EV revolution? He said it multiple times. You have to go down. You have to go back to the root cause of the purpose of Tesla, and it's to shift the world to EVs faster. And if that truly is their cause, shareholder profits should take a backseat to getting as many people as possible in an electric vehicle. Yeah, no, th- those are those are uh, really appreciate your 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 sort of feedback there. There, there's one uh, we have this actually uh, queued up. I do want to bring everybody up to speed to the comment you made around Sandy sort of talking about Tesla cutting their you know prices and in, in, or you know pricing their margin in half to still be fine. Go ahead and pull up the uh, tweet, producer wife, so we can listen to this. Go ahead and play that and give us some audio and make it uh, maximize it so what we can uh, get caught up. Margins are realistic. Those mega pack products are 60% margins out of the question. Uh, it's pretty hard to hit 60%, but I'll bet you 45. I would, I would easily say 45 because we already know that the car, yeah. we know what the car margins are. Uh, and they are higher than everybody. Here's something that we can add to that. Um, everybody's predicting that somehow Tesla is going to hold its tents up and, and disappear. Well, uh, that ain't going to happen. Uh, it isn't going to happen with Rivian or anybody else either because they've got cash in the bank, cash, real cash. I think that, um, I think that probably Tesla, I don't know about anybody else, but Tesla could probably drop their price by, they could cut their profit margin in half, still make more than everybody else is making, and uh, probably capture more market share. That's correct. <laughs> what type of gross margins are realistic? <laughs> That's amazing. I didn't even know that was there. That's who, incredible. Who did, who did the sunglasses? Was that Eric? <laughs> Eric did that. Oh my god! I, I I remember seeing it live. I never actually saw the excerpt in full. Wow, that's freaking amazing. Props to Eric. Eric, that's incredible. Um, oh my god, that just completely. Okay, I got it back. So go ahead and pull up the. Uh, oh no, Siri's talking to me. Go ahead and pull up the Tesla uh, website real quick, producer wife, so we can look at the Model Three in depth. So one of the comments you made was that back in um, uh, when you did your should cost analysis, uh, the the results came in that Tesla should. The, the cost of the Model 3, if you click on order now, uh, producer wife, um, it should cost around 35000 ish for a, a long-range all-wheel drive or real-wheel drive? Sorry, Corey. Which, which one was it? Yeah. All-wheel drive. Okay, so all-wheel drive, long-range Model 3 should cost around 35000 to produce, manufacture, and, and I'm assuming get it out the door to a dealership to be sold. Um, and then, so if we look at the current price of the Model 3 now, the real-wheel drive... Uh, Standard range is priced at forty four thousand dollars as of right now after the price cuts. Which, uh, assuming you know, and this is where the inflation question comes into play, right? Because uh, I guess my question is: Is it reasonable to assume that the Model Three long range all wheel drive 
is back to around that $35,000 level? Or are we going to be somewhere higher because of sort of uh, inflation sticking around? And, you know, we do we did have an inflation in price from that level. How are you thinking yeah, about that? I want to make a, a clear distinction between cost and price. So cost is what it actually costs the OEM to manufacture. Of course. Price is what the consumer pays. And so if you have the rear-wheel drive standard range, you're going to have the, the largest uh, portion of cost for an EV is the battery. So if you're if you have the LFP, um, the lithium iron phosphate version of the of the battery, I believe it's 50 or 55 kilowatt hours. It's that's in the the I think the Chinese uh, version of the Model Three. I've seen one of those at Our Next Energy. I, I met with uh, Mujib Ijaz, the CEO of Our Next Energy. They had one of those packs. That call, that pack is going to be probably thirty percent, thirty to forty percent cheaper than twenty one seventies, and um, so you have a cheaper battery pack, and then eliminating the whole front drive module is well over fifteen hundred dollars. The front motor is much cheaper than the rear motor because it's an induction machine, so you don't have any magnets in the rotor. The rotors actually, the rotor and stator are smaller. And then the chips that they use on the inverter are not silicon carbide, they're silicon, and it's also depopulated. So these are the, the fine details that we understand. Um, you also don't have front half shafts. So if you pull out all the pieces and parts that are associated with making a, a, the rear wheel drive version, all wheel drive, you're talking th several thousand, thousands and thousands of dollars. So instead of 35,000 for a long range all wheel drive, you're looking at closer to 30, 31,000 for a rear wheel drive standard range because of the decrease in cost of the battery and decrease in cost with all of the pieces and parts associated with the front drive unit. Not to mention the reduction in weight, which helps for range and, and, other, and other things. Um, another thing, there was an increase in cost for all Model 3s in 2021 model years when they added the heat pump. So uh, the early Model 3s in 2018 and 19 and early 20, they had the super bottle. If you remember what the super bottle was, uh, the systems didn't have heat pumps. That's much lower cost to have the thermal system without the heat pump. So that cost is now added to the Model 3s, but the increase in performance, particularly in cold weather, is is much better from a from an energy usage perspective, because with the heat pump, it's about three times as efficient as using the PTC heaters, which we found in the early Model 3s, which were in the HVAC unit. So I, I don't know how technical you want to get, but there's there's features and costs that are also added back in over time. I see. Um, that bring value to the customer. I see. Okay. Um, th there's definitely something there uh, that I want to hone in on the 30, sort of $31,000 price. But uh, Monroe, Sandy's asking me to sing you a happy birthday. So I have to. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Corey. <laughs> happy birthday that was to yesterday. you. <laughs> yesterday. Anyway, my birthday is actually on Thursday, but there you go. Eric, I hope you're happy under guys with Sandy. Um, on the thirty thirty one thousand dollar price target the or, or the cost of, of the of the real wheel drive standard range model three that sort of thirty thirty one thousand dollar is that in 2018 dollars or is that in 2022 dollars so i don't want to give away too much secret sauce because this is how we make our okay. money 
So I'm talking okay, in generalities enough. and I'm basing them back off of our 2018 dollars. There's a wide array of factors that drive our models and we continue to update, update them over time. And so I, I'm talking in general in, in some 2018, 2019 dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's been some large things that have shifted in the in the near past. But we just recently did a full cost exercise on our 2020 Model Y during the pandemic. And then we refreshed that with a 2020 uh, to Texas Model Y. So we actually did a comparison between all the improvements of the Texas Model Y with Giga Castings in the 4680 versus our 2020 Model Y. And we updated all of our cost centers. We call them cost centers. It's the price of the raw materials, uh, the areas where you're manufacturing the vehicles. We adjust for volume realization. And this is one of the most misunderstood aspects of the automotive industry is complexity reduction at the manufacturing plant. So I'm going to tell you a story about when I supported an, a, an American OEM. We were paid hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of many months studying wire harness complexity at a plant that manufactured a small SUV that had millions of different combinations of vehicles that could be built. And the reason why it's millions is because I think they had 10 or 12 colors of vehicle. And then there was seven or eight trims. Like, so I'm going to give an example. There's LS, LT, LTX, you know, all these different trims, limited. Um, They had special versions. And every time you introduce a special version into the model mix, it creates a synchronization nightmare for line side kitting um, because you're building a special high performance version. Maybe you have a V6 and an off-road package on one and the next is an inline four in the off-road package. And the next one has air suspension and the inline. Like it, so when it comes to variation and complexity, there are some OEMs that have always been really good. One of them that's been really good in the past is Honda in their Marysville plant. They're, they were known for building like silver Honda Civics for one whole day. And it was only one trim level. And But they still had several trim le- levels. They had leather seats. They had cloth seats. They had the manual transmission. They had the automatic transmission. They may have a low-end four-cylinder and then a the high-end four-cylinder. So they batched and, them and basically pushed that batch through that yeah, day. There, there's some batching. And then the variation of colors were, were limited to, you know, five or six colors versus other mm. OEMs would offer 12 colors. So what I'm getting at is think about how simple a Tesla is and what they give away. So everybody who orders a Model 3 or a Model Y and does not activate the FSD, uh, doesn't pay the 15 grand for FSD, Tesla is choosing to give away hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars of silicon chips that are not utilized for all of that processing capability. They're also giving away the sensor suite because there's a tremendous value in that data that's being collected and being sent back to the dojo chip to being processed to build up their, uh, their, the learning for their FSD system. And so Imagine a purchasing agent at a traditional OEM with the opportunity to save $300 or $500 or 
per car by introducing a lower cost hardware for the people who choose not to buy the, the FSD option. Mm. That is what has been the standard practice for decades at OEMs. Uh, purchasing uh, personnel would be promoted if they saved $4 per car by changing the wire harness complex, changing the wire harness, decontenting connectors and wires. There's a tremendous savings there. Um, but when Sandy and I visited the uh, Texas factory, one thing was very clear. Tesla has world-class leading low-level complexity. Um, whether you get a long-range battery or a short-range battery, um, it bolts up to the vehicle the same. They don't change the case for that. Um, when you're getting a white interior or a black interior, there's very limited changes. You, you don't have white, black cloth. You don't have special leather from, you know, the Corinthian leather. That, that's a joke from the, from the 70s <laughs> or 80s. You ever hear about that? The yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Corinthian leather. Yeah. So, and then if you look at technology read across, imagine a traditional OEM in the 90s that used the exact same engine for their small car, their mid-sized car, their large car, their mid-sized SUV, and their trucks. So I, I, I use the word engine because think about the powertrain configurations for Tesla. If you buy a Model 3 or Model Y, the rear motor is an internal permanent magnet motor with a silicon carbide uh, chipped inverter. That inverter has the ability to replace it with silicon uh, silicon discrete chips to be used in the front, but the form factor and the shape is the same. And then the front motor is an induction version of the same motor with an identical gearbox. So the gearbox is common front and rear. Now you take it out of the Model 3, you put the same thing in the Model Y. That's easy to understand. They're similar size vehicles. But now you talk about the plaid. We tore the plaid down. That dual motor setup in the rear, we pulled the inverters out it said Model Same. 3 right on the side. They're Model 3 inverters. And the motors, uh, they do wrap them in carbon fiber and they change the rotor. But the core architecture of the powertrain remains the same. That same read across will then will most likely be prop propagated to the Cybertruck. Because when they revealed what the Cybertruck powertrain configuration looks like, it's essentially kind of a version of the plaid for the dual motor, dual motor unit. And the tri-motor would have a uh, essentially a single motor in the front, which would be either induction or internal permanent magnet. Yeah. That level of commonality and read across gets you the scale across your organization to lower costs. And then when you get scale, there is a little bit of a risk. If you have a quality issue with or a design flaw, it could wipe out your whole fleet. Imagine if there's a recall on the transfer shaft in the mm. gearbox of every Tesla made, it would affect all of them, all Model S plaids, all Model S's, all Model X's, all Model Y's, all Model 3's. So in order to achieve this level of commonality across the entire portfolio of vehicles, you have to have tremendous faith that your powertrain and the elements that are on all vehicles are incredibly reliable. And with EVs, you get that reliability um, because from a thermodynamic perspective, you're not introducing 
60 to 80% of your energy as waste, heat, and vibration, which is the main cause of, of wear, tear, and maintenance. It's the heat and vibration that like an mm -hmm. internal combustion engine has to reject and the friction mm -hmm. associated with that. So it, it's amazing the paradigm shift that we're seeing in how technology and components are deployed across a portfolio of vehicles yet other OEMs are still operating like they used to, where each vehicle is getting a bespoke sized gearbox and motor. It's like, why can't you develop one um, option for all your vehicles? And even GM, they, they talk about their Ultium platform. I forget how many configurations, it's like 14 different configurations of gearboxes, motors, and, and yeah. inverters. So, I know it's kind of a long-winded explanation, but I think complexity reduction and technology read across. Um, and the one last thing is the thermal system. So when the Model Y came out with the super, with the octo valve and the super manifold, um, they made it backwards compatible to replace the Model 3, fit in the same spot where the super bottle was. And then when we bought our Model S Plaid and tore it down, all of the core critical components, the super manifold, the plate heat exchangers, the, the solenoids, um, the octo valve, the way everything's connected and routed through the vehicle, common, Model 3, Model Y. And then when the Cybertruck comes out, I would bet a box of donuts with Sean Mitchell that <laughs> it will be the same core components on that thermal system on the Cybertruck but the Cybertruck's much larger. So they had enough forethought to most likely design in the capability to handle the thermal loads of not only the Plaid, which they did, but also the Cybertruck. Gotcha. So, so much valuable uh, insight there. This this is sort of how I'm processing it in my brain and you tell me if, if it's fair to, to frame it in this respect. So um, it sounds like this lack of complexity or the dramatic reduction in complexity, which Tesla uh, almost pride prides itself on uh, when building their cars appears to be really the key differentiator or one of the key differentiators as to why, uh, in theory, they're able to reduce the prices as much as they have, yet retain a healthy level of profitability. And, and one of the reasons why you see this sort of dynamic is because it appears like in at least some or most of legacy automakers or traditional automakers, you're rewarded <laughs> for introducing complexity to try and reduce costs. So mm -hmm. where some you get a bonus or a raise or a promoted if you're able to, like you said, to remove $4 off the car's cost by introducing a new process. But what this, what this does over time is introduce complexity into your manufacturing process, which uh, it might be a hidden cost that's tough to calculate unless you're in a position where a competitor introduces a new paradigm shift of being able to produce the car as simply as humanly possible. Uh, and I think the thing that the equation that probably broke that, and you tell me if I'm wrong here, is that legacy automakers and traditional auto are banking on the fact that the traditional car consumer loves optionality. But with with a new with a with this electric car paradigm, as long as you're offering something that ticks most boxes, it appears that people don't really mind uh, not being able to get, you know, this freaking chrome trim on the left side of your car or whatever, these little minutia in the, in the process. And, and that's ultimately what's giving the last 10 years of what Tesla has been working on is like 
it almost feels like this price change last week has been the culmination of all those efforts, especially putting it in in comparison to everybody else. Um, is that is that a fair way of of sort of like uh, visualizing this from this perspective? Is there anything I missed there? Or would you say it's accurate? No, no, that's spot on. Yeah, and oftentimes I get painted as like a Tesla apologist, like oh, you're just so pro Tesla. I let the data speak. So many people will be interviewed and they they speak through secondhand data or like this report I read or or this study I saw. I you know, our team myself personally have seen hundreds of cars. I've been in meetings that are so boring it would make most people cry about how the <laughs> rear shock is mounted on a minivan. The Sounds direction. like a great time, Corey. <laughs> it, and so why that matters is I once fought for three or four months to have the rear shock of a minivan, minivan be screwed in from the side. But because a plant had vestigial tooling that screwed from the bottom, they were driving about three and a half dollars and three pounds into each vehicle to have these aluminum cups uh, at the top of the shock with holes and bolts. And uh, because they didn't want to add an additional station after that. So I fought and I fought and I built a business case. So and it eventually turned out that that minivan now has the shock screwed in from the side. Huh. And I sleep better at night because I know that that vehicle is about seven dollars less to produce. But it's amazing how many tiny decisions like that add up to the total cost of a vehicle. And the amount of context that, that our team has for the stuff that's not sexy, for the, the little things, how a shock is mounted, the material choices for the suspension components, the geometry of the suspension components. Um, did you develop a new platform and is that vehicle um, designed specifically to be an EV or many other OEMs are jamming EV components in an internal combustion engine vehicle? We just got a, uh, was it a Kia Nero? Eric, what was that? A Kia or Hyundai? No, it was a, we got a Kia Nero. We put it up on the hoist and the battery kept going beyond where the fuel tank would have been. And there's just this giant empty cavern above the battery. And I pointed it out in a video. So clearly that battery was essentially jammed underneath an existing internal combustion engine platform. So some engineer made a decision to keep the tooling of that stamping because the seat sat on it. And that is nowhere near the level of elegant integration you see from from an EV that is purpose from a vehicle that's purpose built as an EV mm. and those costs, um, the more purpose built, the more integrated a vehicle is, the lower the cost is, the higher the margin or the lower you can charge for the car and the more people you can get into EVs. And I, I do not envy being at a large OEM where you're trying to sell low cost EVs. EVs are astronomically expensive because the cost of the batteries alone costs more than the total bill of material cost of a low-end car. So if you bought a Dodge Dart or a 
a tiny Toyota Camry or a Yaris, uh, like a decade ago, they would have been 16,000 to 21,000. The total cost of those vehicles were close to 10,000, 10, 11, 12, you know, maybe 13. They're making lower margins on, on cheaper cars, but sure. an entire battery, a 75 kilowatt hour battery to a hundred kilowatt hour battery, you're looking at 13, 15, $20,000. And it's just a battery. It, it, that, Imagine that that's that's more than the cost of the entire vehicle. And then you have to build a vehicle that's heavier and stronger and bigger to carry that mass and still perform at the same level with your FMVSS standards, oblique pull impact, a roof crush. It has to support the weight of the vehicle like two or three times the weight of the vehicle. Then it drives a much more cost into the vehicle for materials you have to use to pass all these crash tests. So then EVs get even heavier uh, to be safe. And it's kind of like this circular expensive pattern where that's why you see most traditional OEMs leading with halo cars. GM led with the Hummer and then the Celestique and uh, the Lyric. What's the average transaction price of those vehicles? So you got 300, 120, and like 70,000. They're yeah. stemming um, demand. So demand's high. I want to buy a low-end Blazer. Give me the low-end uh, electric Blazer. Give me that. I want that yeah. for 35 or 40 grand. But I bet I won't be able to get one of those for three years because they're going to start selling the expensive Blazers that are optioned up so that they can make a little bit of margin on them. Um, right. There's just no margin to be had on low-cost EVs. It's just a, a scary fact for the VWs and GMs of the world that traditionally made their money off of volume, you know, small margins on high volumes. Uh, yeah. the, the players that are going to be fine are low volumes, high margins. BMW, Mercedes, they're going to be just fine. Because now it seems like a deal to buy a BMW i7, the electric version, for 120 to 140 grand, compared to a Lucid at 160. I'd rather buy if I was spending that. I'd rather buy that BMW just because it's a BMW. Yeah. So what, what's interesting with what you just described is that there's this paradigm shift happening where it appears like uh. Most mass market and legacy automakers that want to get into EVs because they have are forced to say go to the luxury upmarket level, um, they are turning into what Tesla has been thought to be for the longest time, which is this like low volume, you know, high end EV car maker. And now it appears that Tesla is one of the very few capable automakers outside of maybe a couple of exceptions that's able to get into the mass market, lower cost EVs, either through these price traps, which still, you know, it still doesn't quite get to the point where every, every single person can buy one. Although, you know, for yesterday, I did, I did a video where I try to compare the ownership cost of a Camry and a Model 3 after these uh, price decreases and the rebate. And it looks like over eight years, the Model 3 is like 800 bucks cheaper to own and operate than a Toyota Camry LE, which is one of their base models, the gas yeah. car which is mind blowing to me, right? But that's not common knowledge because they see the MSRP, they're like way more expensive. But it, when you do the math, you sit down, it actually works out. But it's like, it's weird now. It's because, and I think this is not well understood. And again, this is me perhaps coming from, you know, you mentioned about how people look at you and you, they think you're a crazy Tesla fanboy. Um, 
I get the same thing, but like I'm just trying to sit down and look at it from a data perspective. It seems like there's very, very few players right now that are equipped for the next, say, uh, two to three years to be able to bring a mass market EV that is something that people want. And it's also not going to bankrupt the company <laughs> because they're actually going to be able to do it at scale. Um, do you think... So, so there's been a lot of like noise around the recent price decreases and how this is going to impact Tesla's ability to, you know, we talked about it a little bit, but, you know, a, a, a roundabout number that I, that I've thrown out and you don't have to, you know, you don't, if it's too much data to give up on your side, you know, feel free to say you can't answer, but do you think Tesla is still able to achieve more than 20% margins on their cars at this new pricing levels once they're, once Berlin and Austin are fully ramped? Do you think that's still a realistic expectation? At every uh, configuration, no. Combined, mm -hmm. yes. Okay. So yeah. they're making way more money on a Model S Plaid than a low-end Model 3. So think about it. The motors are the same. The inverters are the same. There's three instead of two. The battery is slightly larger, different cells. And the body is aluminum, which is more expensive. I'm talking about the Model S Plaid. Yep. Slightly more features, slightly larger vehicle, which drives cost. But is it 115? So the difference between 43, well, let's say 55 mm -hmm. and 115, because I think the Model S Plaid dropped from 135 to 115. Is that correct? I think it's, I think it's 94 starting now. For the Model S yeah. Plaid, Model S. Oh, my, the Plaid's like one, one, one ten, something like that. I can look it up real quick. But uh, Model S Plaid currently is at one fifteen. You're correct. Yeah. yeah. So the margins on the Halo cars, uh, not Halo cars, the more expensive cars, the X and the S, are going to be much higher, but the volumes are lower, down right. in the ten, fifteen thousand range. Um, there could be other peculiarities that make them more difficult to manufacture, particularly the body construction. The Model uh, X, the doors drive a ton of cost uh, compared to regular doors. So this is not uncommon in a typical automotive company. So look at trucks or SUVs. So I bought, yes, I don't drive an EV. I know I bought a large Yukon. It was $89,000. And I got the supplier uh, supplier discount, which anyone in Michigan gets supplier discount if you know anyone. So I paid like 85 grand for it. The difference in price from that and like a, uh, what is it? Uh, the Equinox or the Terrain is it's like $50,000 more because I think they're like 40 grand or 35 grand. Does it cost them an additional 25,000 US dollars in cost to make the Yukon? No. When a car grows in size, the, the material cost is not the largest driving factor and the manufacturing cost is not the largest driving factor. Margins are astronomically high on large SUVs and trucks for like Ford and GM. They just are. And that's why um, when these price cuts happen, people are like, oh my God, uh, price cuts. Because they lack the traditional dealership network, it, it's more structured and I think more shocking. But how many times during tough times in 08, 09, 2010, 11, 12, was there cash on the hood offers at dealerships? Think about mm. it. $10,000 off, $15,000 off, 
leasing options. So dealerships had huge wiggle room to work to erode into those massive margins to move metal. And it was more uh, case by case basis what the dealership networks would do for all sorts of sales. You've seen it. No money down, special financing, yep. you know, crazy yeah. deals where even though the MSRP for some trucks would be 65, 75, people were paying $20,000 less than MSRP out the door uh, during tough, when, when OEMs were trying to move, particularly trucks and SUVs, just so they could keep the plants open. I don't think we're at that level with, with Tesla. Um, mm. But they, I do sense the urgency to, to keep the plants busy and to move the product. And uh, I think the more adoption you have of people in EVs, um, the, the more it, it will sustain the momentum that they already have. And uh, what they sell, 1.35 million vehicles last year globally, something? Yeah, like that's that. 1.31, I think it was. Yeah. 1.31. Yeah. I think uh, Sandy predicted 1.4 last mm, year, yeah. a year and a half ago. Uh, what do you what do you think they're going to make this year? Two million. So, yeah. So, so one of the things that I did is I sat down and I'm like, okay, my my thesis is is that uh, if Tesla's lowering pricing, it means that they are looking to, you know, call it move metal. So, like, just reach capacity. I don't I don't see why why else you would want to lower price because uh, you, you're cranking out cars. And, uh, you know, for whatever reason, dynamic there is, people are not buying at that price. So you lower the price so more people can buy. And so what does capacity mean for Tesla? If I look at their Q4 production numbers, it's about 440,000 cars uh, they exited the quarter in. And in their investor deck, they say that they have about 2 million total production built out at their factories. So to me, that sounds like 2 million cars in 2023, as long as there is a buyer for the, for the pricing that they set. And if you look at the sort of last week's uh, <laughs> noise and craziness that has happened in, in, in since they lowered the prices, it seems like the inventory is just uh, clear and quite quickly. Now, the question becomes, is it going to be sustainable through the end of the year to to be able to reach a price point where people buy? But where I'm, where I'm very encouraged uh, from my standpoint for that EV adoption and, you know, say for Tesla's long-term success, is that even after these price cuts and the ramp of Austin and Berlin, and the fact that these, uh, you know, based on your on your guidance, which, uh, you know, you've given excellent guidance before, so I have no reason why that's not true. Plus, sort of my own math says that uh, their net margin after selling through all their cars at scale should be somewhere above 20% or around 20%, which implies that if they aren't able to hit 2 million car production for whatever reason at current prices, you still got a lot of room. You still have technically... 20% margin to give up if you if you wanted to run a break even since your company doesn't have any any debt. Now, from from a standpoint of a shareholder, you probably don't like that answer because you're like, well, where did my earnings go? But but I'm more afraid about for I'm more afraid for everybody else <laughs> if that if that were to happen. Because if Tesla says, okay, I need to get to full production and I need to crank out two million cars per year and 20% margin ain't going to get me there. I need 10% margin. That implies another 10% price drop somewhere or probably more because your economies of scale will kick in at some point as well. And you also assume if the 
if the economy has slowed down to a point where you have to lower that the prices that much, the supply chain uh, should be in deflation as well, and you'll be able to strike new deals with your with your suppliers and new contracts at a lower price for for higher volume, right? So there's a lot of variables that kick into this, and and all of it it just seems like the the company with the most pricing power wins. The one that has all the margins to be able to sell through wins. The one that can pass through uh, these directly to the uh, consumer without getting gouged at the dealership wins. You know, the one that has the least amount of friction and barriers to get the car wins. <laughs> the one that can upgrade their software and charge extra money for those cars wins, right? There's all these variables that are pro Tesla in this environment versus legacy. So I might be naive in thinking that $2 million is the, is the is the bottom. For 2023, to be completely honest, because it's just, I think those price decreases sent the message that said, we're just going to do it. Like, we don't care. We're going to do it. And like we were talking before, uh, Eric and I, um, you know, the, a person who just bought a Tesla before this price decreases are probably super pissed. And, and, and they should be because <laughs> that kind of sucks. But if you think about the long term implications of what this means for Tesla, its growth, the adoption of EVs. And, and I think just as importantly, what this means to every automaker trying to compete in this landscape, all of a sudden you have the newcomer dictating what the pricing should be in the market for a vehicle. And that's something that we've never been in before. So that's, that's how I view it. I don't know if you have any thoughts or comments around that, but that's, yeah. that's sort of where I'm coming from. Yeah. My mother-in-law bought a Tesla. She, brought, she bought a long range uh, Model Y with white interior. Nice. Um, she loves it. And she got it a about eight or nine months ago. And I think when she ordered it, she ordered it at 55,000. And then it was right before the aggressive price increases. So it was going up and up and she felt really good because the price kept increasing. And then when she took delivery, I think it was five or $6,000 more to order one at the time she took delivery. I think she had to wait four or five months. It was back when you couldn't get them. Mm. And um, she sent me a text when the price drop she was really kind of sad she's like because it has an effect on you know the residual market the used car market right and i reminded her i said hey i think i think that's about what you paid they dropped it all the way back down to what she paid <laughs> and then she kind of i haven't had a chance to talk to her because i was in houston this weekend but i i i can i couldn't imagine what it would be like if you just paid $70,000 for a Model Y performance, and now you can get one for uh, 56. 56 that would yeah. be tough. That would be tough. But there's probably tens of thousands of people out there like that. But the I think there may also be a component of the pricing limits for the tax credit, I bet were drafted in a way to stiff Tesla. And that was one nuclear option that Elon or Tesla, the people at Tesla could push just to drop down for the vehicles to qualify. And I love it. It's almost like, I think there's more of a, of a, F like, you. <laughs> oh, you're, you're going to exclude us, you know, by, by pricing, pricing the core of our lineup out. Here we go. We're yeah. going to shift it down. So I almost feel like they, uh, Tesla's like, well, we're going to drop them under. We're going to give you know fifteen thousand dollars savings, and then an additional seventy five hundred for most people who make under that three hundred thousand uh, dollar married gross income or one fifty single income number. Yeah, I think, I think it's kind of a uh, I don't want to say a brilliant move, but I think there was a lot of thought put into that. 
um, yeah. for the legislation that was put in place for that tax credit. Yeah, it's 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 funny you mentioned that because it's you know it's I, I made some content around the, that um, what I felt was a, a gross misuse of taxpayer dollars to give a uh, seventy five hundred dollar EV tax credit to a Wrangler with twenty miles of range and twenty one miles per gallon, but not give it to a Model Y regardless of where the starting price is. I'm like, okay, what happened here, y'all? <laughs> this is weird, right? So from that perspective, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. But uh, I think, I do think there is a component of sending a message for sure. If I remember my time from from the company is like, everybody everybody has a, I feel like the, the, the average Tesla employee is like, uh, has a certain, uh, something to them that says, I know I'm working as hard as I can to do something important and it's, there's still people out there trying to like, I don't know, hurt us directly or indirectly and we're going to prove them wrong. And I think that that sort of mentality might be part of of, of why they, they lower the prices as, as sort of as, just as aggressively as they did. But the more impressive part is that from a business standpoint, it, it, it made sense. <laughs> That's the this thing that still kind of blows my mind is that. You know, if, if a Ford or a GM, I mean, you tell me, if a Ford or a GM right now decides to do a similar price cut as Tesla just did, are they going to be making any money on their cars? Do you think that it's, well, are they, yeah. GM did the big price cut on the Bolt. Remember, they had hefty price mm -hmm. cuts. And I don't know if it had a dramatic effect in their uh, ability to move those vehicles. I think it probably had some effect. Mm -hmm. um, but they right-sized the price to what you got with that vehicle. Mm. And this is what something something that drives me crazy is people think that because it's an electric vehicle, it must have autonomous capability or at least level two or two and a half or three uh, autonomous features, processing power and sensors. Unfortunately, that's not the case. You can have an electric car that's just an electric vehicle but we have this dual par this parallel path of development in both these spaces. And that thing, that's one aspect that I think is oftentimes undervalued with Tesla is how much data they're collecting mm. um, on all their vehicles around the world. It's an yeah. incredible amount of data. I think they have at least a three, maybe five to seven year lead now on the data that they're collecting for all the edge cases for uh, when you're driving down a road and and there's you're missing a line they're collecting data and continually processing what the computer's doing and what the human's doing and um, we had a really good chat with a guy named thomas mueller he came in and visited us he's from a company called WePro. the guy is like an expert an absolute expert in software and he echoed the sentiments that I'm uh, talking about here. And I'm actually getting a little bit of this information from what he said to us. Okay. <laughs> and he highlighted the fact that the value of that data that's being collected and, and how they're collecting it is completely different from a lot of other OEMs. And he gave this really great example. He said, a lot of OEMs are collecting haystacks of data and then they're they're collecting it and storing this haystacks of data when really you need to find a needle in the haystack, like an edge case or some sort of decision scenario for the vehicle with the cameras and the sensors. Tesla is actually processing on the vehicle and sending the needle out, the needles. Yep. And he gave that example and it was really great because it streamlines the way that they process the data and what they send out 
to be analyzed and make their system better. And other OEMs are going about it the wrong way. And he gave some props to other companies like Mobileye. It does a really good job with how they have their systems, but essentially he said, there's it's Tesla is like a rocket ship. And he said, everyone else is like horse and buggy when it comes to yeah. how they're handling, handling their data. And um, I, I we're actually going to have him, this guy, his name's Thomas Mueller. We're going to have him as a guest on our show because it was one of the most valuable 45 minutes I ever spent in a room. Sandy and I, I, I didn't even know half the acronyms he was using. He knew everything <laughs> about the chips and the processing and how, like he was a software, it's like one of, probably one of the world's best software guys. You can look him up on LinkedIn, Thomas Mueller, whatever, but he, he's write really that down, yeah. we're going to have him back. But anyways, I think there's a lot of value there with, um, getting more and more vehicles in the field, covering more and more miles, I think has a, a huge value for Tesla. And and this sort of plays directly into their recent strategy of lowering the price to maximize the number of people, right? So if if this strategy proves out correct, so based on the discussion you had with this expert, it sounds like there's yet another data point or signal that says, hey, industry experts believe that the strategy that Tesla has is the correct one for solving full self-driving. And by... Uh, making the Model Y long-range all-wheel drive a $45,000 car after the price cut and the EV tax credit seems like a really good way to flood the market with these uh, data-gathering tools for Tesla to be able to solve full self-driving. And it goes back to, like, typically a company would have to pay somebody to collect this data. Tesla is letting people pay them <laughs> to collect this data. And I think that piece is still, it's so foreign, right? It sounds so crazy. It, this, this, this sort of methodology and it's so disruptive and weird and unlike anything that any other company has done in order to solve the solution, which is why I think Tesla gets on uh, and full self driving gets sometimes an unfair uh, rap from folks that are like pipe dream doesn't make any sense. But in reality, it's just a, it's a, it seems like the optimal way from a profit perspective and a data gathering process to do this. Just flood the market with these cars, flood the market with these cars, and then we'll, we're confident that we'll solve the full self-driving uh, stack so that we can uh, not only almost have a, uh, a tool set that differentiates us from any other automaker, which is uh, driver assistance to the point where you don't even have to drive, but then you're also opening up a, a, an ability to make your own Uber. Uh, where nobody has to drive over the long term. And it sounds, ins it sounds insane, but that's what they're doing. And it's obvious that's what they're doing, you know? Yeah. It's wild. Hey, hey Farzad, do you know the uh, adoption rate for FSD? How many people actually pay for it? Is it like 20 or 30% or something? It's lower than that. So Troy Testlike actually keeps track of this on his Twitter. I, re I highly recommend everybody follow him. If I remember correctly, the last data set says in the U.S. somewhere around 14%, 14% adoption in the U.S., uh, so global needs less. And how many total vehicles has Tesla sold since their existence? Uh, actually, let's do Model Three on. So that would be what, two or three million? Three million? Uh, yeah. So so one point three. It was one point three last year. Nine hundred thousand before that. So that's two point three. Yeah, around two point five to three million, something let's, like let's that. Let's say Maybe three more. million. Let's do the math on yeah. this. So three million vehicles sold essentially since two thousand eighteen. I know we might yep. be off a little bit. So 86% of those don't have FSD activated. So that's correct. So 5. let's say 80%. And uh, 
is 800,000 times three, so 2.4 million. Now what's 2.4 million times 2,000? 4.8 billion, right? I think it's 4.8 yep. billion. You got it. That's how much profit, if Tesla truly cared about shareholder profit, that's how much profit they gave away in the interest of collecting data. Think about that. The because 2000 if, is the cost of the cameras and the, and the sensor suite, right? That's a rough generalization. I'm not, yeah. it, no, I'm not cameras, asking for exacts. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. cameras and sensors aren't that expensive. The radar unit was there. Now it's not also the wire harnesses, uh, some of the logic and then the processing boards, the thermal system to cool it. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. I just rounded yeah. up a little yeah. bit. No problem. Um, but let's say about $5 billion given away. And that's back to my initial statement is traditional OEMs would have, uh, imagine if you could pitch that, if you're in purchasing, hey, I got an idea. If they order it, let's install it. If they don't, let's not. Now, think about it. So, and I even my rounded Lord. down. That just blows my mind that that they're putting uh, other factors in front of profit, which I think is uncommon in today's world. And yeah. uh, I don't know. It's, it was well, a deferment, right? It's like it's they have they have a I feel like they have a really very high confidence that the uh, foregoing five billion dollars of profit of like literally net income. This is pure profit that they're giving up, right? Yeah. This is somewhat. Yeah, there, there's. You could argue that there's uh, sourcing power in having it in all the vehicles. So you'd, it may that may shrink because yeah. instead of ordering three million FSD boards, you're ordering three hundred, six hundred thousand. So then you pay more. Yeah. These are generalizations. You'd actually sure. have to crunch the math on, and then you'd have complexity at the plant. And you know now yeah. you're even this conversation hurts my brain. You know, because you have to do all the factors. Yeah. If the yep. conversation hurts your brain, then there's a there's a lot to be gained and a lot to be lost yeah. in that in those decisions. And you know, for sure. But it's more than say more than a billion less than five somewhere somewhere I'm in more. that somewhere in there. And and Tesla said, screw that. We're we're gonna forego that near term profitability. Talk call it hit. Because we feel confident that this software suite and this solution, you know, maybe in their heads, they're, they're also saying it's not only right because it's great for safety and it's going to help us really maximize the safety of the driver. But probably what they're saying is we're also confident that in five, 10 years time, this five billion investment, because it's really you could you could categorize it as an investment because you're gathering that data to your point. This is an investment in gathering the data uh, is going to be 100 times fold because if we solve self-driving with this thing, forget it, forget it. And they're doing this. And here's what the other point, like we touched on this briefly, but it literally just clicked for me. They're doing this while lowering the price massively this year and still having higher margins than everybody else on top of this. Yeah. And that is like, would, that's the, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't say higher margins than everybody else because um, the CEO of that uh, luxury brand, Bernard Arnold, okay. I can't pronounce oh, yeah. it Sure. I think I'm paraphrasing a quote of his. He said, with, with luxury goods comes luxury margins. So if you look at some more luxury brands, mm -hmm. uh, their margins may be way higher. So sure. I avoid saying everyone. Fair enough.
mass market mass market uh, automakers fair oh yeah traditionally mass market automakers are yeah 10 percent plus or minus four percent right no yeah somewhere around there no thank you thank you for that distinction because yeah yeah it uh but but still if, if that's if that's what tesla's heading towards it appears like again they're, they're operating from a position of strength it's just yeah it's this thing is just so wild and so weird where do you see the the where do you see 2023 heading with with this price decrease from tesla and how it's going to shake up the auto market so what do you expect um do you expect legacy auto to suffer from these changes do you think tesla's at a scale right now that could potentially impact the profitability of auto, auto other automakers do you think this in the end is going to be a positive or negative i think we we're probably on the positive boat just based on what we talked about but how do you see 2023 shaking out after these uh, price decreases kicked in i think it'll stem the perception of falling demand so if you look at tesla's increase year over year it was in the 40 percent range was it four i That's saw right. 41 or 44 and wall street projected them at 50. So if they would have stuck to their guns and kept the prices high, they may have had higher profit margins, which is sure, but they've been moving less vehicles, keeping less busy. They may have overbuilt their capacity. So there's other aspects that would, would not be good for perception. And then you may drop to 20 or 30% growth year over year. But why is Tesla held to some sort of higher standard than the rest of the industry? I know there was that chart that someone put out that showed you know, it's 44% and everyone else was yeah. like, you know, three, two, one, and then negative. And it, it's like, they're like the poster child for being picked on and, and held to some incredible standard. And I always go back to a conversation I had with my uh, friend who's a big GM fan. Back in 2019, we're riding on our way to a football game. And I said, there will be a point in time where Tesla sells more vehicles than General Motors. He laughed. No way. And that was like early on in the Model 3 and Model Y days where I think they were making 50 or 100,000 because we had seen I had seen the vehicle and with my own eyes tore it down. And this is before Monroe Live. This is 2019, I believe, late 2019. And um it was just, uh, uh, it's starting to get closer to fruition. And every time I meet with that guy, he's one of my really good friends. I'm not going to name him. <laughs> oh, the, Tesla was taken more and more seriously by, the, you know, the, you know, GM. And I still don't think Mary Barra has ever said the word Tesla, has she? Mm, I don't think so. I haven't heard it. <laughs> yeah. There's the, there's, there's the chart. Yeah. If you want to blow that up real quick, producer wife. So this is... Uh... U.S. light vehicle sales 2022 versus 2021. If you follow Tesla, you're probably very familiar with this. This is from James Stevenson uh, at I cannot enough underscore enough. <laughs> Such a brilliant handle. Uh, Tesla uh, grew 44% year over year. G uh, GM uh, grew 3%. Everybody else is down. And these are basically call them um, mass market or, you know, uh, car makers in the U.S. that sell. Cars. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. These are the two things I'm looking for out of 2023. I want to see 50,000 Cybertrucks delivered, and I want to see the Model Y be the best-selling car in the world. And okay. I think it it's possible for the Model Y to get there this year, at least next year. I, do you, I don't know what the best-selling vehicle in the world was. I was either uh, it was either the Corolla or the the the. 
the RAV4, the Tacoma, there's a bunch of small little SUVs and cars. And also the F-150 sells, you know, 600,000. used to be close to a million. Okay. Um, Let me see. I have a list. Yeah, sorry, uh, I should have, should have prepared some data on that. No, but, you're good. So you're talking globally or you're talking in the in the U.S.? Globally. Globally? Yeah. Um, world car market, best 100 models. Is this going to give me something? Um, RAV4. No, Corolla. How many? Eight hundred and forty thousand. Uh, and twenty twenty two. Model Y deliveries was six, uh, seven, six, seven hundred. Model Y is five hundred thousand, and Model Three is four ninety two. I don't know if this website is correct or not. I can have a sort of producer wife wants to throw this up, and this could be uh, off. But yeah, about half half a million, which sounds that sounds. This Model 3 sounds high. The Model Y sounds yeah. low. I thought, anyways, yeah. within range in the next few years. Yeah. Do you think, so you said half a million, or sorry, 50,000 Cybertrucks in 2023 delivered. Uh, you, that, you think that's a, you think that's realistic? It depends on how much. So I can't say too much, but uh, we, we do not do any work with Tesla. A lot of people think, ah, oh, you must be engineering services to them. No, none. So, mm -hmm. but occasionally we interface with companies that, that may or may not do some work providing equipment and whatnot. I think that that probably won't happen this year. So if you put a goal, mm -hmm. I think it'll be way less than 50,000. I'm probably going to eat my on that one <laughs> what like what so in my head i'm thinking like if they deliver and again i don't want to i know you have to like be careful with what you uh, say here but um i'm going to ask anyway uh i'm in my head i'm thinking somewhere around ten thousand units delivered uh and if it's less than that i wouldn't be surprised because i don't i don't know what's going to happen the one thing that's uh, i've been learning the last year and a half is like whatever expectations you have, cut them in a third, like by two thirds, because you, you're way too optimistic. But I can't help myself. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm thinking somewhere around ten thousand units sold. But um, what do you think about the number? Do you think it's closer to twenty five or realistically? I, yeah. Now that I'm sitting here, I forget. It's only January twenty twenty three, and mm -hmm. I, my hopes are up that we get a Cybertruck this year to tear down to bring to everybody on Monroe Live. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I, honestly, I think it'll be our the biggest draw we've ever had the the model y we had a huge draw cybertruck will be the top easily blue I mean, top and easily. um yeah i'm going to retract my fifty thousand statement closer to closer to 10 delivered okay. in this calendar year but that is absolutely critical because there's so many pre-orders how many pre-orders like it's more 1.5 million is a rumor than all other pre-orders and the pricing is going to be way higher. I don't know if that that's been announced yet, but there's no way they can sell at the pricing that they announced. Was it four yeah. or five years ago? Yeah. We actually had a discussion about that in our community forum last week is like the, it seems like Tesla is so incredibly well positioned for Cybertruck to launch, Cybertruck to launch, especially if they're able to generate margins at the current levels with the, with the rest of the fleet, because they're going to have market penetration with their cars and if you compare it to, say, a four F-150 Lightning, which is going to be, call it a direct competitor in this class, even though they're kind of different class of vehicle technically, because I don't think the F-150 Lightning is would have as many off-road capabilities as a Cybertruck. But let's just assume they're kind of pickup-y and they're both mm -hmm. electric. 
um, the we're looking at the uh, uh, F-150 Lightning with the extended battery and two motors started at 80,000. And I feel like Tesla could sell Cybertruck at 80,000 in whatever configuration. And then, I don't know, maybe reach 100,000 units and make a ton of profit on the car at mm-hmm. those pricing levels, right? Is that a correct way of thinking about it? Yeah, and that, that's a good point. Um, and I mentioned earlier that so much profit is made off of large vehicles for traditional OEMs, SUVs and trucks. Tesla could stem demand. Well, they wouldn't stem demand. They could stem supply and increase the price, but with demand at 1.5 million, even if they convert 25% of those pre-orders to orders, that's still hundreds and hundreds of thousands. Was right. that like 300, 375,000 yeah. or something? Yep. And that's an incredible amount of demand. So they could probably get away with pricing it wherever they want. And the first 100,000 would fly off the shelf, but you don't want to turn into a General Motors scenario where the initial Hummers, they sold so few of them. I think, what is it, hundreds? Yeah, something like that. And they all went to like select people. And um, on the secondary market, they're like $200,000, $170,000. I think that's come down a little bit. The used car market is is kind of cooled there for, especially for hot to get cars. Yeah. But they need enough supply so that you don't have this uh, you know, rare excluded few that have them and everyone's fighting over them. So I would hate to see a thousand delivered this year, but 10,000 to 20,000 would be enough to at least, uh, get the vehicle to enough people's hands where we would be able to get one pretty easily. Yeah. And, and where, where my head like really explodes is like, once they do get to the, um, call it 100,000 per year level, 200,000 or the 250 per per year level, 250,000 per year level, which Tesla has as a target, which I don't see why they wouldn't be able to do that given the current demand of the vehicle. Um, If they sell it for around that $80,000 mark, which is a head-to-head competitor to that F-150 Lightning at that same sort of um, level, the the, the one um, comment that Elon made when they first unveiled the Cybertruck, if I remember correctly, is that they made a mention around they want a Cybertruck to cost around the same to produce as a Model 3 from from back in 2017, 2018, which implies somewhere between a thirty to $40,000 cost to produce the Cybertruck. If you sell it at $80,000, that's 50% margin, mm-hmm. you know, at mass market. Full, like fully capable, you know, that's, that's kind of weird. <laughs> With the supply chain and inflationary factors, I don't see that happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So we will do our full analysis on it and we will have that number. Yeah. And um, I'm not going to speak until I get there, but uh you know, with those huge castings and the stainless steel body, no paint shop, uh, mo- mo- most of the interior components don't grow that much in cost. The instrument panel, the seats, some stuff is a small change. Suspension components grow in a parametric cost basis. So if you have a three pound link or a four pound link, it's just a, it's sometimes not the correct percentage more. It's only slightly more uh, because the material is sometimes not the driving factor in the cost. And that's why trucks can be not 
that much more expensive than a, uh, an SUV and they charge that much more. So mm. 30 to 40, no way, no way. Uh, 40 to 60, somewhere in that range. We'll see. We did, we did a full cost analysis on the Rivian and let me tell you that thing's expensive. Wow. Mm. Four really? motors, four inverters, four gearboxes, uh, like world-class leading suspension travel, uh, forged, forged, uh, lower links, uh, hydraulic stabilizer bar system, air compressor, body on frame, hard mounted aluminum cradles, Alcantara in the interior, the roll up door thing for the bed. I could just, I can't even talk through all the things that are expensive in that vehicle. Yeah. Super yeah. price, huge yeah. battery. Right. Yeah. And, and they're, and they're, I mean, I guess they're also kind of categorizing it as something that theoretically could command that sort of pricing. But I think in the world with with Cybertruck in the market and other competitors, potentially, I'm curious to see how they differentiate themselves. Because I saw I saw it even in person. It's sick. That's a cool looking car, man. It's a, it's a sick car. So I'm, I'm curious to see how it fares in the world of a of the Cybertruck being out. Let me let me get you on record here and see if I can uh, if if we can maybe uh, uh, if you're willing to answer this question. So if you were if you were to um, guess what the Cybertruck margin would be, fully ramped. Um, with with uh, all the costs baked in, and say the average selling price of the Cybertruck uh, once it's fully ramped, where where does your gut say the margin's going to be? Like, try to pinpoint a specific number if you're comfortable sharing it. Oh man, let me do some some yeah. brain power here. Okay. So, and if you have 15, 20 minutes, we'll do some Q and A after this. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, what motor configuration? Will this be the tri motor, or is there a quad motor version coming that drives? The, or is yeah, this I'm going to say. Version? All, all, all in, like blended yeah. margin. Yeah. Unfortunately, model mix will drive a huge factor. So even okay. like, so with the Model 3 and the Model Y, they promise the rear-wheel drive, like short-range version. But if you look at the model mix, how many are delivered versus the high-end okay. ones, it's lower. So if I- So if, assume if, it's biased to the three engine, to the three-motor one. Yeah. So I'm going to assume a similar model mix bias, which is a bias towards the more expensive and higher margin ver versions. Yeah. Oh man, I got to do some math. I don't even know pricing, so man, I'm, I'm gonna pull out a calc calculator no right here. Yeah, yeah we'll so do this live. Crunching. Can you put some Jeopardy music in the background, producer wife? <laughs> yeah. Let's see. <laughs> ding 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 ding. Um. Ding 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 ding. Ding 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 ding. <laughs> What do you guys think? In the chat, drop uh, your guesses. I'm saying my rough math shows about 37%. Is what okay. I just now okay. this is based on what I think the average transaction price will be and what I assume the average cost will be, which I'm not giving away those. So okay. that could actually shift way up or way down, but that okay. is my guess for the future. Okay. I okay. we'll find out. And uh I'm going to write it down today and take a picture, my yeah. actual numbers, and then uh, it'll be timestamped. So when we talk in two or three years, Perfect. I'll actually have a document of my of I my love guess. that. <laughs> Perfect. Fantastic. And if you're in the comments section, drop what your guess you think is going to be for, for the Cybertruck as well. Uh, I'm, just, I'm so, oh my God. I, like, I really hope, I, I when I placed my order, I placed my order for the Cybertruck under my employee name, my employee email. I went with the full spec. 
and I changed my location to the Austin address. So like everything has lined up for me to try and get this thing as quickly as possible, but we'll see. We'll see yeah. if, if that will happen or not. But all right, uh, let's go ahead and do some Q&A. Corey, thank you so much for the time you, you spared for us so far. Incredibly, just such a valuable conversation. Always enjoy your take in the Monroe Live team. Uh, we have 2,000 uh, live viewers right now as well. Thank you all so much for joining us today. I uh, really appreciate you. If you're catching us uh, on, on the uh, recording, we do these uh, whenever they come up. So if you want to follow the channel, I have interviews with uh, random uh, industry, industry experts all the time. And Corey is one of the best, absolutely one of the best in the, uh, in the field. And I think, um, yeah, man, you're just an awesome asset to not just the Tesla community, but really the, the, the car industry in general. I really appreciate you and the work you guys do at Monroe. Seriously, everybody there is phenomenal. All right, let's, uh, let's do some questions, producer wife. So let's bring up the first one. Uh, Corey, I'm guessing a lot of these will be probably pointed towards you, but um, I'll just hand it over to you whenever we have, we have a question. If I want to throw in my two cents, I will. So uh, let's start with the first one. Uh, Ed Jones, thank you so much. Sandy has said he thinks Tesla has seven to 10 year tech edge, at least in a software. Seven to 10 years seems too much for me. But how far ahead does Corey think Tesla is in tech, if any? Yeah, so I disagree slightly with Sandy. I've heard Sandy say seven years before, and I think it's slipping to more that three to six. And the reason it's slipping is because uh, many OEMs are developing platforms and vehicles that are are going to emulate a lot of the things that the virtues that we extolled that Tesla did. And I think a lot of startups had a chance to impress or pass Tesla, but they delayed in launching their vehicles so long that they missed their window of opportunity to actually be leading. Like, so the Faraday Future vehicle, believe it or not, had some great motor technology and battery technology that they had in development, I don't know, five, six years ago, but they never actually got it launched in a timely manner. Uh, same thing with the Lucid, uh, amazing uh, motor technology um, from a gravimetric and volumetric perspective, but they aren't able to, they weren't able to get it launched. They had so many delays and delays that when Lucid finally launched their vehicle, it was at best on par or even. And so that tech advantage that Sandy talks about is typically with the traditional OEMs, but a lot of the startups have bits and pieces that are on par. So when Sandy says that that's seven to 10 years, a lot of it's based on their, the chips they use on their circuit boards, the low voltage architecture, how they process their data, how they collect data, their motor technology and the level of integration. So the level of integration is the easiest. If you look at the batteries and the high voltage architecture, so much integration in Tesla's a huge departure from the early model X and S with the fragmented designs. Um, and many OEMs still have partially fragmented designs of their high voltage architecture, meaning DC to DC converters, one box, the charge modules, another box, and they have wires connecting them. I think soon you'll see a convergence of technology there when it comes to integration. And mm -hmm. so unless Tesla comes out with a brand new platform in the next two to three years, you'll see people slowly catching up, but how long has it taken? three, four, five years. So I think that lead is eroding, but we don't know what Tesla has in the works for maybe a new platform. Got it. No, thank you for that. And, and so it sounds like the newcomers, the ones that don't have the the decades of, of say, bureaucracy that has been built upon the, 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 the company's ability to move quickly, uh, those newcomers have the best chance to 
matching or say surpassing potentially Tesla at some point. Uh, but as far as existing players go, it's going to be much tougher because they're just not built to move as quickly as, as the new newcomers. Is that a fair sort of yeah. fair way of looking at it? Perfect. Um, all right, let's do the next one. Uh, Scott, thank you so much. 279 Super Chat. Thank you very much. Ask about Cybertruck uh, for uh, wheel steering, variable ratio steering. Um, I'm asking you about it, Corey. <laughs> what, do you have any thoughts about that? Ask about Cybertruck four wheel steering, variable ratio steering. So variable ratio steering, I'm not that familiar with. Unfortunately, that's not my strength. Um, but it can be achieved through drive-by wire. So I know that that was talked about extensively. We thought that when we received our Model S Plaid that it was going to be drive-by wire. Unfortunately, it was not. So with variable ratio ste steering, that can be achieved very easily with drive-by wire because as you move the steering wheel, you can have the EPS, if it's disassociated from the physical connection to the rack, you can have variable ratio steering. So one thing you'll need on the Cybertruck, you'll need drive-by wire to achieve that because I don't think you want to get variable ratio steering through your steering rack geometry. I, I don't think that, that, that Tesla's going to go that route. And the, the last thing is at CES, I did see this really nice company called Wee, R-E-E. -E. They had four corner modules and each corner module had an electric motor, a, a, a unit for uh, generating braking power and a unit for steering. So essentially all four wheels could steer and they were all independent. So you could technically get variable ratio steering. Heck, you could get all four wheels to turn whichever way you want because they're actually disassociated corner to corner. I don't think we'll see that on on uh, the Cybertruck. I think each axle will be connected with one solid rack. So that's one important distinction. It, whether you have disassociated steering each corner or uh, axle to axle. So I think it'll be axle to axle locked for safety reasons. And uh, it'll have to be done by drive-by wire. Awesome. Thank you for the insight there. Yeah. Deep dive. Let's do the next one. Good question, Scott. I'm excited to see if that's actually going to be, going to be, going to be an option. Uh, Tipu uh, Master. Hey, could you ask Corey about the Yukon's infotainment speed that uses the same Atom A3860 the Fisker Ocean is set to use? Um, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I have about 12,000 miles on my vehicle. I like it. Um, there's a few things I don't like, but they're not related to the speed. They're related to the graphical user interface. Like when I turn the volume up, a large brown box covers about 20% of my screen. It says volume and it has like the volume bar, but it stays for like a second and a half. So if I have navigation with my wireless Apple CarPlay, I'll move the volume up on my steering wheel and it blocks my navigation for too long. So the graphical user interface, I think, is probably controlled by General Motors. And um, the speed is is nice. It's relatively quick. Um, we get to benchmark dozens of cars. The only one that I, I like better, I had a, a, a Grand Wagoneer and a Grand Cherokee, a high-end Grand Cherokee. That stereo and that infotainment system is phenomenal. Uh, and I just find that that FCA, now Stellantis, well, actually it's FCA Chrysler products. 
they really started differentiating themselves on their Uconnect system probably five or six years ago. They had a huge advantage over other traditional OEMs with screen quality, speed. Um, so to answer your question, I think it's it's pretty good. Uh, it's really good. And the screen quality is great. I don't know if the hardware is going to be the same, but I'm pretty impressed. I think it's I think it's Android Auto, an Android Auto system. I Correct me if I'm wrong there, but it's it's pretty good. Awesome. That's great to hear. Next question. Ed, another one. Nice. Uh, how does Corey think the COGS uh, per unit compares between Tesla Model 3 or Y with comparable cars from U.S. competitors? And how does he think it compares with um, Chinese models, BYD, CO, etc.? Uh, we we hit on this a little bit earlier in the stream, but uh, what, yeah, what are your thoughts here? Let's see. So Model 3, Model Y versus comparable cars from the U.S. Well, that's that's what we do. So we do have comparable vehicles from U.S. competitors. We did an analysis on the Lightning and the Mach-E. The Mach-E is, is kind of in that Model 3, Model Y range. The costs are actually comparable, but there's so many factors that go into it. The material used in the body, the form factor of the battery cells, where the vehicle's built. Is it built in Fremont or is it built in Mexico? It's a huge factor, a huge bearing. Um, the giga castings have uh, different effects on cost. The, the, the trim levels, the features, the range. So you can have comparable costs, um, but do you have comparable price? So I believe the Mach-E sold in a similar price range of the Model 3 and Model Y in the 40s to the high 50s, maybe low 60s for like their super nice like GT version. And um, they never got up to that $70,000, $80,000 range where you could get with a Model Y performance with FSD beta, 80, 85. Um, that being said, I, I think that large OEMs do have strengths in their ability uh, to have purchasing power with their tier ones and tier twos. Um, they have well-established plants with great body shops and build processes. So you have to factor in what Tesla gives away. Now I mentioned this earlier, they're giving away all of the equipment for their autonomous near autonomous capabilities which add costs into the vehicle. Their interiors are also kind of decontented with the lack of buttons. So then you look at all the buttons and switches in a traditional OEM that adds cost. We, I could go on a line by line, a line by line comparison of a traditional OEM, like a Mach-E versus a Model Y, and you would get the answer, but some systems would be more on one and some systems would be less on the other. And I can't actually give you the numbers because it, it hurt my ability to sell, but they're not as far off as you would think, but there's so many factors that you have to almost qualify. What trim level? Is it a mix of all trim levels? And uh, what content factors drive the actual vehicle? So uh, China are going to be cheaper. And they have a huge advantage in battery manufacturing, which is the largest cost component of the vehicle. Um, I've had uh, the luxury of seeing many, many Chinese vehicles when we went to Norway and Sweden. Um, we have a Chinese vehicle in our facility, the Imperium Skywell. Uh, 
they have traditional manufacturing methodologies when it comes to in interior and and body construction and paint and their ev systems are typically lagging behind some of the most integrated we see so they have a lot of opportunity i'd be scared i'd be really scared of the pricing uh the pricing power of the chinese oems if they enter the u.s market because mm -hmm. i think they're getting closer and closer to a point where um if they enter in that 30 dollars range and are offering the same features and functions of the 50 to $70,000 range of EVs, uh, people may choose a Chinese product. Yeah. And so, that's kind of what I've, what I've been thinking through here as of late is like, this it seems like the moment is ripe, at least in the U S for those Chinese automakers to come in and just steal market share from everybody. Uh, if they can come up with a, with a product that's, um, you know, halfway competent and, you know, say on par with your Model 3s, Model Ys, Mach-E, so on and so forth. It, it, it just, it the door is wide open, it, it seems like. Um, I don't know. I Yeah. And that's why I'd be mm. more worried if I was a large, low-cost manufacturer, a VW, that, that makes the Jettas, the Passats, the, the small... Tiguan's the little the lower cost the Nissan's of the world Toyota because yeah. they're going to enter the low end rather than the high end yeah how how long ago let's let me ask this question real quick before we go to the next one how um how far away are we from the first Chinese automaker to make it to the United States you think EV automaker I don't know. I think their market is so large, they don't need us. And I think sometimes as a U.S. citizen, we have a myopic view of how important we are in this world. We represent, mm. we're like the third, what, the third largest country in terms of population behind what, India mm -hmm. and China? We're at China. 365 million. Mm -hmm. um, but we have an outsized opinion of ourselves and our place in the world. And China has so many people and they have so much demand there and they have so many EV manufacturers that why would they go out of their way to support our market when they can't keep up with much of their own demand, particularly for the top players that are excelling? I think what we may see, which is unfortunate for our market, is players that are struggling to do well in China, maybe the third or fourth player, will shift and focus on other uh other markets, but they're going to start with Europe first. So when we were in Europe, we talked with the team at NIO and Xiaoping, and they're already focusing on deliveries in China. And I think there was a, a study just released where they showed in Europe, uh, in Europe and they showed yeah. how many EVs were delivered. And a lot of them were from the Chinese players. You have companies like, was it Zeker and uh, NIO and Xiaoping and BYD? They, I think they'll enter Europe first because it's in a smaller play for them before they try and take on the U.S. So considering how long it's taking them to enter Europe, I'd say we're probably three years away before we see a real earnest try. Not even a try, but you'll see other indicators. Like in the Detroit airport, there are advertisements for Chinese EVs. There was like, you're standing there for the luggage carousel. Whoa. And I see, I forget what it was. It was like a year ago. 
And once we start to see more uh, advertisement for Chinese EVs in the US, then I'll start to perk my ears up. I think we're a long ways away. Got it. So realistically, yeah, probably like end of the decade before we start seeing them in, in, in relatively noticeable volumes. Yeah, where, and I, yeah. I don't want to misquote Sandy, but he calls it the valley of death where um, yeah. supply and demand, they'll fill that valley. I think he predicts that coming closer to 2025 to 2028. Mm. So, yeah. Got it. He's the, that. Got it. Perfect spot for them to come in. Let's do a, a couple more here. Um, I want to make sure I'm respectful of Corey's time, and then we'll uh, we'll call it. Brian, a question. How challenging do you think the teardown of the Cybertruck will be? Great question. Uh, good question. Um, the most challenging aspect of our teardowns are when we deconstruct the bodies. So pulling out the giga castings from the Model Y proved to be challenging because there was several... Uh, threaded fasteners that went through some of the stamped steel portions of the body that even though we separated all the high strength um, adhesive, we just either couldn't see or couldn't find these threaded fasteners and had to use sawzalls to get in there and cut them off. So it'll be interesting to see how the castings are fixtured to the stamped portions of the body. I do not think it'll be exoskeleton, you know, like it was pitched as a giant exoskeleton I think we'll see traditional body side inner and outer, traditional roof structure, um, large castings in front and rear. And it'll be like a glorified, much larger version. Oh, looks like I lost myself. We, we missed, yeah, we lost we lost your video. We're Hang just, on. We have your audio, but not your video. <laughs> um, we got three blue anyways, dots. A much larger version Hang on, Eric's trying to fix this of a model. No problem. Okay. Um, yeah, you can you can hear me okay? Yeah. No, no problem on yours. Okay, perfect. All right, maybe we'll do we'll do uh we'll do one more and then see if uh if Corey comes back to us with his video and then uh since he, we can still hear him uh, uh there, oh he's back oh different angle nice different camera yeah this one actually looks better Eric. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do uh, let's do the last one last question. Ba -ba -da -da. Oh. Monroe Live. Question for Corey. When is he going to take Eric with him and Sandy when they travel overseas? Oh, my God. <laughs> Eric wrote this. He's sitting in here. Yeah, he did. <laughs> so this is kind of a, a, a YouTube thing. I, I told Eric, I said, if you can dream it, we'll do it. So when we were in CES, we interfaced with a couple international YouTubers. Uh, this guy named uh, Andre. He goes by Tesla Check. He's in the Czech Republic and he takes all of our videos and he does voiceovers and translates them. We don't care. Uh, more exposure for us. But he invited us to the Czech Republic. And I told Eric, I said, we'll go, you, me, Sandy, and we'll schedule a tour. We're, he said he would tour us through Prague nice. and uh, take us to a bunch of different um uh, suppliers and introduce us to a bunch of different businesses. Um, but we've done a lot of international trips. Sandy and I did Norway, Sweden. We did Hydra in Italy. We've done Vietnam. We did Japan. Maybe we're going to South Korea in the first quarter. Sandy and I went to Saudi Arabia, not related to Monroe Live. And uh, 
we get a lot of good content, but he's always slumming to go. So he's standing right here and he asks a question on the live stream to get, <laughs> get it on record. He will be coming with us. There you go, Eric. One more. That's so funny, dude. That's uh, Eric, you're a smart guy. <laughs> uh, apparently, we have one more we want to we throw up, if that's okay, Corey. Uh, I don't want to keep you for too long. Go ahead, uh, producer wife, Cash King. Question for Corey. Uh, what EV truck would you buy? Nice, nice question. What EV truck would you buy? We'll make this the last one. Great question. Um, I wouldn't buy a truck. I'm an SUV guy. I had a truck for two or three years. I had a Silverado with a 6.6 liter diesel. Loved it, but it was so hard to maintain. And then I realized the interior space just isn't big enough for life. So that's why I had a regular Yukon and now I have a big Yukon. It is perfect. I have three children, a big golden retriever, tons of luggage, strollers. I live on a dirt road. I want a cyber SUV. I don't want a cyber truck. I want a cyber SUV. If they made a cyber truck in an SUV version, I would buy it. I want a Tesla primarily for the charging infrastructure. Um, I think the charging infrastructure is phenomenal. And right now, I think that's one of the biggest detriments to buying anything that's not a Tesla. And we may be years out until that gets a lot better. And I want something that doesn't exist or isn't in the plans. So based on that, most likely a traditional OEM like Ford or GM is going to launch an EV version of a Suburban or an Expedition. Whichever one comes out first, I will order, buy and drive. So there you go. You work at Ford or GM, whichever one is delivered first, an extended, the extended version of an Expedition or a Suburban, I will buy. And that's that's what I want. We have Corey on record. So if any any of these uh, auto auto manufacturing uh, uh, executives are watching the show, get this man his oversized electric SUV. What are you guys waiting for? You have at least one buyer and many I, more because, I mean, it sounds. <laughs> I've had meetings or different points in time where I've interfaced with some relatively high profile people at these OEMs. Some of them are on camera, some of them off camera. And I brought this up. I said, hey, where's my large SUV, my electric version? Because the trucks are coming out. So you have the, the Silverado and the Sierra and you have the Lightning. To make an SUV, you just put a different body on it. It's not that much. I mean, come on. Right. Give it yeah. to me. You did the hard part already. <laughs> I do like the fact that because I bought the diesel, I when I fill up, it says 690 miles of range. Wow. Because I have a 28-gallon tank, and I get like 26 or 28 miles to the gallon. Nice. Incredibly efficient. But to get that same level of performance out of an electric vehicle, you need a battery that's so big it's ridiculous. So, um, But I'll be able to charge every day at home. I get home, charge, I'll be fine. I only need 200, 200 250 miles of range. I'll be fine. Um, but I sure like not having to fuel up my vehicle for like three or four weeks. Yeah, I know I'm on the channel and it's like sacrilegious that I drive a a large. (laughs) Not at all. I mean, it's utility, right? It's whatever works. Everybody has got different needs. And, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully these uh, somebody's listening and it'll come out. I I do wonder if maybe this like um, rumored Tesla van that Tesla is working on might be based on the Cybertruck platform in some way because of the extended wheelbase and maybe that just could very easily translate to a, a solution that would fall right into that niche which is a, like a high capacity vehicle that can just carry a bunch of crap that is like 
actually housed in and it's not a pickup truck form factor. So I wonder if that's a possibility. So who knows? We'll see. Corey, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate you making the time. About an hour and 40 minutes here. It's always appreciative. Uh, let's make sure we, we get uh, uh, Corey, uh, uh, his Twitter blowing up here. This, this guy's on Twitter. Excellent content. Pull up his Twitter, uh, producer wife. I linked it a little bit uh, earlier in the private chat. Uh, I believe it's right here. It's one of the very first links. Corey Steuben um, works for uh, uh, president at Monroe and Associates. Uh, if, you, if you follow this channel and Monroe's channel as well, you know that these guys do incredible work. Here, let me go ahead and uh, pull it up for you. Let me see. And oh, there we go. We got it. Perfect. Corey's right there. At Corey, S-T-E-U-B-E-N. Please go follow him on Twitter. Um, and uh, yeah, great content. And then there, there's our, you even retweeted my tweet. Look at that. What a nice guy. <laughs> That's funny. And then also, obviously, go make sure and you go, you go follow Monroe Live as well. If you want to pull up that uh, tweet, uh, Twitter account as well, Producer Wife, towards the end there on the private chat. Uh, Monroe Live makes great content around not just Teslas, but uh, vehicles and just engineering in general. They do incredible work. Uh, and and always appreciate their insight. One of the one of the best assets. I was telling Corey and Sandy this before when I met him in person. I'm like, I can't believe the stuff you guys put together is free, because the amount of uh, high value stuff you guys share with the world is is mind blowing. And it's always appreciated. Yeah. There, there you go. That's from yesterday. Oh yeah, look at that. Did Eric just post? Yeah, go 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 up a little bit. Did he post a little higher? A little bit. Uh, little, like different camera angles. No, maybe higher. Yeah. Is yeah, that me? By you. you right now yeah. live Look at that yeah there we go that's sick and the camera I love how you guys are turning into a sick media company man it's not just like engineering you guys got like oh, legit i love the quality of your productions your your camera oh, you, man. your room i was talking to eric about it i said hey we got to step up our game we need uh, some dslrs some better mood lighting we just set up in my office on an old wine box here you know so, <laughs> The wine box is a great touch. Thank you, man. Yeah, this is all the this is all my wife. I mean, my wife's sort of the visionary behind the look of the of the channel. I'm eternally grateful. This is all all goes to her and with like her help with the producing and stuff and pulling up comments and the you, you know make making sure that the audio is good is she's invaluable, incredible. Um, and the DSLR is not that bad either. It's a it's a Canon M50. And I'll give you the details off off air. It's it's like yeah. it's extremely affordable. And it does a great job. Um, and then lastly, let's also make sure we pull up uh, Monroe Live's YouTube channel as well. Um, that's where you can find all video content from Monroe. 343,000 subscribers. You guys deserve millions, to be honest. And uh, one of the interviews you guys did recently was with, uh, uh, I think a couple months ago, was with Jim Farley and the Ford team, which I found to yeah. be so fascinating. What an excellent interview that was. Yeah. Good old Amazing Jim. Content. Yeah. Good old Jim. Yeah, man. Well, but yeah, thank you. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Anytime, whatever frequency you want, I'll come back. Any nice topic. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, I was going to say you're welcome back anytime. And I and I envision us probably having uh, these discussions often. So yeah, thank you so much. Happy birthday again. Belated birthday. And uh, to everybody in the comments, thank you so much for keeping the conversation respectful as always. And last but not least, producer wife, thank you so much for the help, the support with the channel. It's just uh, so thankful to be uh to be to have such a, such a supportive partner so and yeah thank you all so much thank you Corey. thank you monroe team thank you eric thank you everybody we'll see you in the next one take it easy everybody bye-bye peace awesome